This episode is sponsored by Furniture Box. Check them out in the description below. Welcome to the Ground Floor Podcast, the podcast where we are successful people exactly how they did it. Our guest today is Will Englander, who is the founder of The Root Co., which is a ginger beer company. Uh, we haven't tried it yet, and we're really excited to try it on the air. But for now, thanks for thanks for being here, Will. Thanks very much for having me. I've, I've actually listened to a few of your episodes and starting them all with successful i feel like yeah a bit of an imposter be sitting here we've had um, a bunch of people that have felt the same but it's like you have done something successful you've built a company and you've branched out on your own like that success in itself it's not measured by like well, anything else. that's kind of you to say yeah, yeah it's nice it's very nice to be here chatting to you guys anyway it's great yeah, to, it's have good to have you we were saying just before we started actually kind of giving you as a bit of a background to what you were doing before the root company um do you yeah. mind just kind of giving an idea to people that are listening as to sort of what you were doing before you set it up yeah sure so i i grew up in london uh, went to university and straight out of university my first job was as a management consultant here in London and uh, I did that for about three years and around the two and a half year mark that was uh, summer 2020 we were under lockdown I started actually making some ginger beer I'd had the idea in, or, originally back in 2018 after a general anaesthetic operation and that was linked to the accident I was telling you about um, right at the beginning so um yeah, I, I basically made the decision to leave that job and try and branch out on my own, try and make a product, try and start a business. And it's been a pretty incredible experience so far. It's been a hell of a lot of learning, um, mostly very fun, mostly, mostly sort of disorganized, but becoming more organized madness. Um, but yeah, there's there's been enough progress and enough uh resonance of the product in, in in the market to continue so you um, you don't make a root beer don't make a root beer so you're the root co but you make you ginger make a ginger beer, beer yeah that's um, cute why, why did that how did that happen to be honest with you it was the brand name is not something i i thought very intensely about i wanted to start a business selling ginger beer i knew that the root co was a good idea because i was going to really focus on the fresh ingredients and on the ginger and then it kind of became a bit more of a <laughs> a point of confusion when I started selling the ginger beer and people were like, oh, so you're the root beer guy. I was like, no, I'm actually the ginger beer guy, but it's called the root guy. <laughs> uh, and they were like, so what's ginger ale? Just as you, you yeah. guys have done. Um, we make McDonald's burgers. What's your company? It's called KFC Limited. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, Accurate it's, comparison. Yeah, yeah, it's fair analogy. Um, and it says here on the... Um, on the on the tin i love the design by the way i mentioned that off air but it, it is really cool and i can feel that it's paper that's good which is yeah. good because that's very yeah, environmental you no you can't um but it says here that you've got it says five natural ingredients there are literally just five ingredients in this yeah that's right so um i think usually if you're a, a food and drink brand you always claim to have have started in the kitchen for me i basically researched a, a recipe on um on Google, it was a BBC one, and started making ginger beer. Initially, I was fermenting it using brewer's yeast, so ended up with a slightly alcoholic product. But then I um, used a soda stream, sparkling water, and made a non-alcoholic one. Iterated it a bunch of times, and I was just fully in control of what what was going in there. And as I was thinking about the proposition, this was actually still while while I was in my previous job, I wanted to tackle a few different things as I kind of got my head behind the idea of starting this business first of all it just wanted it just wanted to be an, an extra gingery ginger beer and then i started to think actually what really bugs me about soft drinks that i've tried and it's usually really convoluted ingredients and names you can't pronounce uh, and i think we live in an age where things are being investigated really closely in terms yep. of how they perform versus your gut health and yeah. how they are for you long term yeah. and anything that's um, potentially harmful there was a bunch of news a few weeks ago about aspartame which is a very yeah i saw that with diet coke, diet coke yeah. yeah um which i think uh, it's a good thing to expose that kind of stuff because i mean it, even to be fair even coming here today i knew a little bit about the company but i was like um i'm quite strict with what i put in my body now and even me i was like oh is there going to be a bunch of sugary shit in this but it literally i mean it says on the can for anyone listening or watching it says fizz ginger maple lime and mint and that's it that's all that's in here yeah um and it's quite a painstaking process to make it as simple as it is mm. because you have to think about a bunch of things when you're producing a canned drink. You have to think about acidity in particular. So we use lime juice and all of our acidity comes from that. And because we have a juicing process, there is intrinsic variability in our product batch to batch. So we juice fresh ginger and fresh lime. 
that kind of lends itself to risk from an acidity point of view because if the limes are less juicy or there's been something affecting the harvest we can end up with a less acidic or more acidic okay. product um so you have to be a little bit careful about and yeah before you pop that open just okay. give it a little bit of a tip for me okay. just a little movement up and down you can actually be a bit stronger with that i'm going to show you if you just go like that and there you go just a little bit I don't got some sad sediment i'm now worried it's going to explode <laughs> you've got to stop uh, I do the whole, you know, from Scrubs, um, the John Dorian three tap method, you know? Uh, three taps, yeah, no, and you only need four, and it goes everywhere. Here we go. It didn't explode. It did. not I think okay. the, the trick is with that is you just leave it a little bit, let it all come out, and then do the other the other ten. Um, I really like that. I know what you mean. It has it has definitely got that fiery kick that sits at the back of your throat. Mm. I really like that. That's nice. I don't really drink. I don't really drink this flavored drink normally. Mm. But no, I quite I like it it feels it's not like overly it, sweet it mm. feels quite clean just when you're drinking it it doesn't actually feel like there's loads of components to it you know how sometimes if you take a drink of something that's not very healthy for you you can it doesn't taste natural this actually really does also, taste quite the, clean the thing at the back of the throat it's not overpowering because i've had ginger shots before and i quite like them occasionally and they are mm. really good for you but it is a thing of like i'd almost rather do a shot of tequila or something if i still drank do you know what i mean it's very harsh but this is really like it's a bit moorish yeah I like well, it's um I think you'll find as you drink more of it, then the heat at the back of your throat does intensify because yeah. it stays there for a bit. It just ac accumulates. So you, you'll probably end up thinking it's spicier than, than you do now. But mm. I think it's one of the coolest things about the drink and certainly something I didn't anticipate when I first started out. I wasn't like, I want to make a drink with this really cool thing where after you finished a can, it actually stays in the back of your throat for ages and makes you feel super well. I was just like, I want to make a gingery ginger beer. But as, it's ha as it happens, when you... Um, start playing around with fresh ingredients and really get all of that flavor uh, into your canned drinks, then you can create something quite cool. How sort of much does this veer on the side of having the similar health benefits of a ginger shot, for example, versus... Yeah, it's great for your gut on the, on yeah. the can. Yeah, so that's a, a very good question because we juice all of our um, all of our ginger. It means that we get all of the nutritional benefit and also all of the immune system benefit. The benefits for your digestion ginger is very good at breaking up gas in your digestive system and promoting even peristalsis so all we've done is heat treat it so a ginger shot you usually have to keep cold because it is just pure fresh juice in there which i think is really cool and i drink ginger shots for us we wanted to make something that was shelf stable that you could store not in a fridge and it would be totally fine so after the drink is made you have to um pasteurize it so the drinks get pasteurized at temperature and that definitely takes some of the edge off when you try our our drinks they always sit in a big tank before we can them right. when you try them before they're pasteurized they taste unbelievably good really? Okay. like really really good and part of me just wants to stop there yeah but um it would be it would be spoiled in a in a week i, nice I really like this yeah. man no so it's do a, i it's a really nice option yeah. to have when you want to have something that's not water and you don't drink and you want to have something that just tastes nice and you don't have to finish it being like, well, I'll probably have to burn that off, but it was fun while it lasted. Like it's actually feels really good for you. Where can you find it? Yeah. Um, good, good question. So most, most of our, most of our distribution is uh, here in London, although we supply a bunch of uh, sites outside of London too, across the UK and actually a couple of stores in the US, believe it or oh, not. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, but the biggest one here in London is the Planet Organic stores. Um, but we also supply lots of nice independent delis, small chains. We supply a chain of bakeries in uh, in Suffolk and Norfolk called the Two Magpies Bakeries. So you can find our stuff there. But we, um, at the moment anyway, we haven't broken into really mass distribution. No supermarkets, nothing like that. And to be totally honest with you, we're now a two-person team. My co-founder Lucy joined uh, four months ago, four or five months ago. Um, but the truth is that I don't think we'd be ready sitting here now. I don't feel like we'd be ready to fulfill um, a massive order. There's still work we need to do on our supply chain. I'm heading out to East Africa at the start of uh, September to try and figure out how we do our um, sourcing and our juicing a bit more effectively um, because we're really obsessed with nice, clean, simple supply chains. And um, you might have noticed that all of our ingredients are from a single origin to kind of knowing as much as we can we've got a simple recipe it doesn't take 
well, it, it does take quite a lot of work, but not loads and loads of work to really investigate actually how those yes, um, ingredients the, come into the UK. And the, and the, who fi- we work the with. fizz is from the UK, the ginger's from Tanzania, the maple's from Canada, the yeah. lime's from Morocco, and the mint is, is from the UK as well. Yeah. Um, okay, so going into like actually building the business and starting it up, because there's probably people listening that have thought about starting some sort of either, you know, a bakery or even a drinks-based business themselves. Yeah. So you have the idea, you mm-hmm. think, oh, I might, you know, I'm not happy with the alternatives for ginger beer. Yes. I might have a go at making my own. But you're a management consultant at this point. You're just I, um, a, a guy working a white collar office job. So what's the yes. first thing you did? Well, I guess the key, I'd want to start by saying a key difference between myself and uh, let's say a regular management consultant is I'm very lucky and, bre- and very privileged, which I think allowed me to take a risk in a more carefree way than most people would. I think lots of... What do you mean in that, in that sense? I mean that... Um, for me, I was able to think about leaving my job a bit more seriously. I had lots of good reasons for leaving and starting my own thing, but I was able to think about it a lot more seriously and without the, the same kind of financial pressures that I think yeah. most people would. Got you. And I think it would be pretty dishonest not to acknowledge that I'm insanely lucky. No, I respect and that. that has um, that has allowed me to to start to start this, and indeed all of the savings that I built up to start the business. Lots of those came from living at home and mm-hmm, sure. um, not everyone has that chance. So um, uh, to start with, very lucky. But back to your question, which was kind of how how do you Yeah, the begin? first thing you did. But I, I respect you saying that. It's good to it's good to acknowledge that kind of stuff. Um, and also, it's you know, it's not where you're born, it's where you're made and what you do. And you know, you've worked really hard. So it's good to acknowledge the fact that there is a luck factor there as well. Because I think a lot of people don't do that. Yeah, I think for me, I the psychology I got myself into before leaving the job is I'm really lucky here and it, it would kind of be rude not to try. Like there are, uh, an option would be for me to continue working in a job I didn't like and exactly continue, earning, continue earning lots of cash. Um, but kind of more interesting and more exciting would be trying to build something and, and, and my mission here is less about, um, I, I probably should say from a branding side, like I want to bring the most amazing gingery drinks to the UK market and beyond or something like that. But the truth is I just want to build a team and... Um, and give everyone in the team a really good experience and um, hopefully sell some nice ginger products along the way. But uh, yeah, it's more it's more for me about developing a project that can employ people, prov- provide an experience for people. I think that's a more compelling mission for me than just staying in the same job. So the first thing that you did, you have this idea and you think I might make some ginger beer. What do you do? First step. So I initially started making it, as I said before, in the kitchen. And that was literally Googling recipe and giving it a whirl. And, and I is have... that, by the way, is that literally just going to Sainsbury's and, and buying, okay, the recipe on Google yeah, says, sorry. all right, buy mint, buy ginger. Like, we like to drill into the practical here so that people know exactly what they can do. Yeah, no, and and, and, and rightly so. So um, I bought ginger and lime. At, the, at this point, there was no mint in the recipe at all. It was ginger, lime, sugar, and water. And I was also using, uh, using brewer's yeast as well to do a bit of fermentation. And then all the, well basically i ended up peeling lots of ginger and by the way it's easier to peel ginger with the back of a teaspoon than it is to use a regular really peeler, yeah i did not know that yeah um top you, tip you use a you hold the, the spoon with this um con convex bit against your thumb and you use the tip of it and you just work it. It, it takes okay. ages okay so you've got to be pretty determined anyway i started off by peeling loads and loads of ginger yeah. and um then kind of getting it into a pulp and letting it ferment with some water and then I started to refine kind of my kitchen process a bit and change the way that I was sweetening the drink and change the way that, um, or the amount of ginger I was putting in. Um, so it got to the point where I was quite routinely making batches of ginger beer on the weekends in my last job. And the process for that was ginger, lime, I think it was actually just ginger in it originally, ginger into a Nutribullet, blitz it up into a pulp and then press it through a fine sieve with the back of a spoon. Yeah, Lots of spoons involved, apparently. Yeah. Uh, this was actually a bigger spoon. A uh, small spoon won't get you very far. Um, and that gives you this amazing fresh ginger juice. And then you can repeat the process with limes, or at the time I was actually just squeezing them like you'd normally get juice from a lime. But you can also blitz it up into a pulp and press it and juice it the same way. And then I was um, cooking that juice with uh, sugar. So you'd have like a little um, pasteurization process i think i'd also added water before cooking it at that stage so you're really pasteurizing the liquid and then i was putting it in these big glass jars that was basically how i started and then there was an element of 
uh, of thought about what I wanted the product to be. So I knew I didn't want it to be alcoholic. That's when the brewer's yeast ended. Um, and I knew that I wanted to think really carefully about how I was sourcing my fresh ginger, which is where I came up with this idea for uh, supply chain out of East Africa because I read a lot of academic research about East African ginger being not only stronger but higher in gingerol which is the bioactive compound in ginger that yields all the health benefits kind of things we were speaking about earlier great for your gut mm-hmm. um, good antioxidant properties anti-nausea uh, good for kind of perking up your energy a little bit too I find that that's one of the benefits um, but on a personal level I really like ginger for uh, the stomach one in particular um, I'm quite prone to stress like I don't eat um oh sorry i don't drink any coffee uh so i was having a ginger shot instead of a coffee mid-afternoon in my last job and that was helping perk me up a little bit so i so i i knew that i wanted to kind of em- really emphasize the gingery aspect and make it so that it would be good for uh good for people if they were struggling with their digestion and it's only very lightly fizzy you've probably noticed there was less fizzy than a coke yeah um, yeah it was um, can i just ask quickly by the way when you mentioned the uh the supply chain <clears throat> out of east africa um you found the benefits for it. That's why you wanted to do it. Yeah. But for anyone listening, I, I mean, I, I would have no idea how you even go about finding a supply chain in East yeah. Africa. Like Great. Yeah. And I, I didn't really know either, which is why I spoke to another friend of mine. His older sister lives in Nairobi. And I kind of said, hello, we've never met before. Um, her name's Jules. She's absolutely fantastic. And we're still in touch this day and indeed sorting out my supply chain still uh, to, yeah, almost two and a half years later. But um, I, I said to her, I have this ambition to import fresh ginger from uh, East Africa. And she was so kind and on board with it and really willing to just give me loads of her time, totally free of charge, um, helped investigate export partners, places to kind of source the ginger. When we first, um, when we first used this supply chain, it was, it was basically just through an export partner. So we found uh, a woman in Kenya uh, called Helen and Helen, Helen's expertise was exporting all kinds of uh, fresh fruit and veg from Kenya to uh, usually the Netherlands, uh, sometimes the UK. Um, There are quite a few fresh exports that come out of Kenya, including things like flowers. um, And lots of those go to Amsterdam too. But anyway, Helen basically had contacts for fresh ginger and was able to source from a farmer's market in central Uganda, source this fresh ginger, washed it, packed it, and then sent it here to the uk and it was all very experimental because the quantity was it felt large to me but quite small in terms of international shipments it was a thousand kilograms so a metric ton um and it had to be air freighted so sent by air which wasn't very environmental and quite costly um how how much are we talking cost wise for that so it's about it was about two pounds 40 per kilogram right so okay yeah so it's about about two and a half k yeah yeah um, quite a significant outlay. On um, that note, um, what was the kind of initial starting capital for that? So for the for the whole project, I gave myself a budget of around forty thousand um, pounds, which was, well, yeah, basically my sa- my savings. Yeah, yeah. I gave myself the budget. Sounds like uh, <laughs> sounds pretty grand, but yeah, I basically had my savings and um, I spent some of that cash on a bit of equipment, actually, a juicer, and. That juicer that I bought back in 2021 still sits in our co-manufacturer's uh, facility down in Devon. We've been using that juicer for every single product we've made uh, to date. We're thinking of changing things slightly in juicing in East Africa, as I mentioned earlier. Um, that's from an that makes sense from a uh, an environmental standpoint, and also probably from a cost one uh, and a, a nice kind of circularity and uh, uh, circularity and continuity i guess with the project because at the moment it takes about 40 hours of juicing to make a batch of our drinks which is about thirty-six thousand cans and if we were to suddenly need to make 10 times that number for whatever reason then it's kind of (laughs) it's 400 hours of juicing yeah it's suddenly uh suddenly stacking up Um, do you know how many cans you've sold uh, yeah, I do know how many cans I've sold. Uh, it will be at this point. I mean, I wish I had my my nice Excel spreadsheet in front of me, um, but I think it must be around seventy, eighty thousand, something like that, maybe more. Are you going to do anything big for the hundred thousandth can? 
I probably should I should mark it in some way. I think you should, uh, man. That's yeah. a that's a big step. It's a big milestone. Yeah. Although I see things on LinkedIn about, you know, the millionth can and all of this stuff. So mm. yeah, I'm but like, you yeah, know, a lot of lot of stuff left to do. It's an opportunity yeah, for content. Definitely. Yeah, true. Um, with the um yeah, sorry. I was gonna say so with so with the forty thousand pounds then that you were that you were mentioning yes. earlier, so obviously you had some of that towards actually juicer. getting the ginger and yeah. the juicer and that sort of thing. How else did you sort of allocate it and sort of how did you actually start with marketing the, the business from kind of day one? There was basically no budget for marketing um and to be honest no budgeting exercise done at all that's why at the beginning i was kind of like it's a organized slash disorganized yeah. madness because mm. uh, it definitely started quite disorganized and is continually getting more organized and turning into more of a professionalized business which is good but it definitely didn't start that way i was basically doing everything myself so um built the website myself and um was doing kind of the bare minimum on instagram and some linkedin stuff i had a, a supportive network around me that made it feel like actually those comms and the marketing i was doing was go going out quite a long way but the truth is i produced a ton of drinks without having the faintest clue how to sell them how they would sell and the work involved in sales and if there's anything that i would say i've learned it's that actually <laughs> unfortunately once you make a product that's that's definitely not it um, you need to go out and sell the thing. And it sounds super obvious sitting here now and I'm almost sort of embarrassed that I ever thought it would be differently. But I'm not, I don't have a, a brain that's naturally inclined towards sales. I right. think I'm good at um, befriending people and meeting people. And that's definitely come in useful when I've been walking into stores and getting sure. the product out there. But to be honest, I find the the process of emailing people and getting ignored and people not having the time of day for you and your nice new spicy product, I find it slightly soul destroying. Um, it's not for everyone. It's definitely it's, not for it's, everyone. It's not for, not for everyone. And I thought that in my naivety, I was initially naive. Um, and then I thought, okay, there'll probably come a point where I get enough distribution that a bit of momentum will start to build and then it'll get easier to um, to build the business and, and so on. In terms of uh, the the materials, where are you storing them? The ingredients, like so, for example, the thousand kilos of, of ginger. Sorry, yeah, it's not no, in your it's not in your flat. No, <laughs> it's not. It's not in my flat. So, one of the one of the best decisions that I made was to do a, a trial production run. So I imported that first a thousand kilograms of ginger, and it went straight into cold storage. And I took a very small quantity, I think it was about 40 kilograms, and used it to make my first kind of trial batch with the juicer in the factory, making the drinks the way that they would be made at scale. Because up to then I had, I didn't have any intermediary. I think lots of people will do a bit of recipe stuff, be like, oh, that tastes quite good. And then take it over to a flavor developer who will basically say, okay, you need this acidity regulator and this also in your drinks to kind of control consistency and emulsifiers and all this stuff. For me, I was basically like, there is no reason why I can't go from fresh juice in my kitchen to creating a fresh juice drink and let's just give it a go. But uh, luckily for me, I did decide to do this trial production with the guys in it threw up a couple of really big problems. Um, notably that ginger, when you juice it, produces loads of this starch, which acts like a non-Newtonian fluid. So kind of like custard where you put pressure on it and it turns into a solid uh, cornstarch, sorry, not custard. Um, you put pressure on it and it turns into a real kind of solid, like you grip it and it's almost like a feta cheese consistency. Mm. And then you relax your hand and it runs through like a liquid. It's crazy, it's okay, actually really cool to see. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately it does block a lot of pipes and that creates a really inconsistent product if you're not careful. Um, and certainly in our first batch of drinks, even knowing this after our trial production, we had lots of variability in what was in our cans. And, um, and with the factory, so with the factory, yeah. how do you go about finding a factory? Oh yeah, that that's another good question. That came from my uh, two weeks of phone calls right at the beginning. So uh, my my mentee in my last job, his friend's girlfriend's brother, no something like that so like, your mentees no my mentees my mentees my mentees sister's sister's friend maybe it was only twice removed but it was right. definitely pretty obscure and this kind of i think this sh shows when you do something kind of interesting people are your, your network does actually go quite far which is fun but anyway he was um his name is james and i spoke to him really early on and he and his brother have a hard seltzer business called arrowtown and they were about six months ahead of me and they'd found these fantastic guys down in Devon who were a really nice small entrepreneurial team. And basically I just I just chatted to them. I remember a really big deal for me at the beginning was 
will these guys take my juicer and deal with this process and we didn't know that stuff would block pipes at the time if i if i told him uh, if i told the managing director sean at the time he probably wouldn't have worked with me but i didn't know luckily so i didn't tell him ignorance um, is bliss yeah ignorance is bliss and then uh then they were like yeah cool let's let's get it done and because they were willing to work with me and thought that the idea of producing a fresh fresh juice product sounded cool and i'd taken them a couple of my kitchen recipes for them to try they're like yeah we'll we'll give this a go but i had um to return to like the problems the there was an inconsistency issue but the bigger one was that the drink wasn't safe so when you produce uh from uh fresh ingredients you usually have quite a lot of stuff microbiology yeast whatever it may be um in your uh, in your juice that you wouldn't normally get if you use extracts or something that's been pre-filtered or pre-pasteurized which is where most of the flavors in in canned drinks come from they'll come from something that has been treated in some way to make it a bit more sterile so for us we were um pa- packaging up our our juice so our ginger and lime juice and then uh, s- steeping our uh, mint into our water um, and adding our maple syrup putting it in a can pasteurizing it in our trial at uh, an industry standard temperature which is 75 degrees for 10 minutes pretty sure that everything would be fine and it actually wasn't fine at all and um i use the phrase teeming with life uh, to describe what was in the cans which is um technically accurate (laughs) i would say not not technically accurate but it definitely there was there was enough stuff living in there to make the product unsellable over any kind of significant period of time and um that was incredibly concerning for me because I had used my 40 kilograms of ginger for um, for my test test run, but I still had 960 kilograms sitting in cold storage that would eventually go off. It wouldn't last forever. That was, so that was something I wanted to actually ask as well, because you mentioned earlier one of the mistakes you made was that you didn't necessarily figure out product market fit before you sort of jumped in and, and went with it. So yeah. if you were to go back and do that again, yeah. how would you do it differently? There wasn't product market fit in the sense that I had kind of orders already and I hadn't done Kickstarter or anything like that. The, the kind of ways that people would typically gauge demand for a product and actually will people pay but i'd done loads and loads of trials with friends of mine we were coming out of lockdown i think in early 2020 and i was cycling loads of batches of ginger beer around london and i got maybe an n of uh probably over 100 in terms of tastings um people uh, me basically putting the drinks in front of people and asking them what they thought of it and i was staring them in in the eyes as i am doing to you guys uh, when you were trying the drinks and the feedback would have inevitably been very biased but i, I didn't... did notice that by the way i noticed when i was drinking it your eyes were like dead on me oh god <laughs> like no no no, no. <laughs> not badly but that's a good thing i would have done the same thing you're just looking for every reaction like are they being genuine do they actually like it are they yeah. saying that because you're on camera like i get that um but it 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 graduated from that to um i i got a, a market store license probably the one of the best decisions i think i've ever made over the business lifetime uh, was right i think it was week two i kicked off my process with islington council to get a, a pitch a market's trading pitch and that's actually to this day we do it on a sunday in camden passage we have a market stall there and that allowed me to do broader product testing i initially wanted to do a kind of innocent smoothie style love it hate it situation and i did um but because the feedback was good enough and i had lots of different batches on my uh, table that I'd sort of tweaked in various ways so people were trying them and telling me what they liked and didn't like I think that gave me the confidence to make stuff even though I didn't necessarily know at that point how I was going to sell it where I was going to sell it I knew I was going to launch a website and I knew I had the store but I didn't have any retail traction at all so I guess my my comment at the beginning was it was more that I didn't know for certain that it would sell I didn't have any contracts and what I did was pretty risky and potentially quite foolhardy to go and make a product but it was off the back of lots of testing and lots of feedback so i was diligent in the sense that i didn't just kind of chill in my kitchen and make lots of recipes and think oh god that tastes tastes nice i bet people are going to love this and then and then give it a give it a well it was much more the case that um i was quite keen to fine-tune it and that's why i made it to 38 recipes and um in the market stall days what kind of numbers were you doing in terms of uh, sales per day, uh, I guess maybe I was selling ginger beer at that point by the cup, and I still I still do the market stall as I say. But right at the beginning, ginger beer by the cup, I guess maybe like a hundred, a hundred and fifty pounds of revenue. But if you um, if you 
go about the lengthy process with your local council to get a street trading pitch and lots of them are unavailable lots of them are unavailable because they're very popular you can get a, an unbelievably good rate so we if we show up every single sunday in a month we end up paying about 21 pounds 75 for a whole Sunday of trading in one of Islington's busy, busiest wow. streets, yeah. okay. which is unreal. That's when crazy. you when you think about the amount of money it takes to basically set up at any event, yeah, yeah, yeah. where you'd have, I, I know you could see it as a marketing opportunity too, but for most people, it's just like selling or uh, getting the brand out there. We get to stand there in a in an unbelievable place for very little money. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd I'd highly recommend. Um, giving your giving your local council a bell if you're interested in starting a food and drink business. Hey guys, I just wanted to take a second to talk about our sponsor for this episode, Furniture Box. Furniture Box is an online furniture retailer that makes awesome products for everywhere from your bedroom to your office. Now we actually had Monty and Dan, the co-founders on our show. That's how we met. We loved their story and we hung out with them afterwards and we knew that we wanted to work with them. And here's the thing. One of the biggest issues I have whenever I've ordered furniture in the past is that certain big name furniture companies, not naming any names, will charge you a fairly large fee for delivery. And even then that delivery usually takes a few days, if not longer. With Furniture Box, not only do they offer free next day delivery, but they're now planning on extending their delivery cutoff even more so that you can literally order a dining set as late as 8 p.m. and be eating dinner on it the next day. So to put it simply, there's no one in the UK furniture scene that's doing anything like what they're doing. And we're thrilled to have them as our sponsor. So click the link in the show notes and check them out. Now back to the episode. Um, can you talk us through the process of finding a co-founder and how you knew you were ready to find a co-founder? Yeah, well? so this is this is jumping forward a little bit in time. Um, so it was about 18 months. Uh, 18 months in, I decided that it would be good to get someone on. Uh, the process of the actual doing it, I put a post up on LinkedIn and that was pretty much end of. I put a post up on Instagram and on LinkedIn and just kind of wanted to see, um, see how far it went. I gave... I, I guess you you guys must know a little bit about LinkedIn marketing. I gave the post some attributes that I thought might make it um, more widely seen than than others. It wasn't just a, hey, here's a job description, share with your network. Yeah. I kind of made it a bit about the business journey and made it kind of quite engaging. So it, it ended up that about 50,000 people saw the post. And from that, I had some really high quality applications. Oh, interesting. And okay. uh, one of those was my co-founder, Lucy, who, as it happens, was working with a girl I knew from university uh, at BBH advertising agency and uh, she kind of checked with our mutual friend Joy she was like is Will a decent guy like what's the crack with his little startup thing and then she came to interview and she was she was absolutely fantastic and what role Um, uh, was she being brought on for so it was called a co-founder and uh, that's confusing for a lot of people but I'm aware that there's lots of confusing elements about my business. <laughs> I really need to like. This isn't a podcast. Down. This is therapy. See, I really need this to is sit business down therapy. and rebrand the whole thing. Um, but yeah, it's it is confusing because people are like, well, um, Lucy wasn't there at the beginning, so how could she possibly be a co-founder? But the title makes complete sense to me and hopefully also to her because her role is entirely as broad as mine. Like her remit is absolutely everything. Yeah, and the idea standard startup. standard startup type thing and the idea was very much to bring on someone to increase our capacity and how much we could do but give someone the same kind of breadth of experience that i've been having because i was enjoying it i had i was having a brilliant time and as i was saying before about building the team you kind of want to share that with someone Mm -hmm. and i'm very lucky that i found lucy whose skill set is um is slightly different to my own but we have a very similar attitude to lots of the important things and my final recruitment stage was uh, getting her to sell at our Sunday market store, which I was talking about before, and watching her interact with people and the respect she has for other people is kind of so core to how I view the world. And when you are selling a product and promoting a product like this, a food and drink thing, you have to be totally respectful to everyone and non-judgmental. Yeah. And watching Lucy um, flog, flog ginger beer in, in Camden Passage on a Sunday, it was very obvious to me that um, she not only got the products really well, but... Um, wanted to treat people well and kindly and make sure that they were nourished and had very similar kind of alignment and values to me had the right values yeah um i wanted to touch on something uh it's a little bit more serious but it's what you mentioned both off air and you kind of alluded to it earlier in the interview but uh you mentioned that you nearly lost your life so um i was out i was actually i had the most amazing six months between graduating from university and, and starting my first job or it's supposed to be the most amazing six months i um 
trailed along with my uh, parents on their retirement trip to Australia and New Zealand to carry the bags and drive the car, which was fantastic. And then I went away for a month to do um, ski instructor training in Japan. Uh, I love skiing. That's uh, another uh, privileged aspect of my of my life to have to have gone so many times. And I just wanted to do an instructor course and, and ski where I'd never skied before. So I went went off to Japan and I spent about I think it was about four weeks in in total there and qualified as a, an instructor. But the night I qualified, I actually got uh, hit by a car. And the situation was I'd come back from a night out. We were celebrating having uh, qualified as instructors. I'd actually organized a sweepstake for the person that got the highest mark in their personal skiing. Everyone like puts in a beer and the person that gets the highest mark in their personal skiing gets all the beers. And I actually ended up getting the highest mark. So I organized a sweepstake that I, and then I sweeped or yeah. sweeped for everyone, swept um, for everyone else's drinks. And I was, I was pretty drunk, but unfortunately my jacket had got, got nicked from the, from the bar I was in and it was freezing cold night and a bit of a blizzard. So um, I was basically jogging home. I'm also a big runner. Jogging, and jog, you jogged home in a blizzard? I jogged home in a blizzard, but it it felt kind of safe. Doesn't sound very safe. It that felt... sounds like the most badass thing I've ever heard in my life. No, oh, it's definitely not badass, particularly not the way the story turns out. But um, I I was very cold and needed to move. So I, I did jog and I was jogging on the pavement, but uh, I got to my accommodation and... Um, crossed the road and i think i was jogging i don't remember it super clearly and slipped over and then a car came and hit me um it, just in the leg which was very lucky because if it had been my head or my chest it would have been um probably instant death unfortunately the car was traveling quite fast and then um that was i mean felt like a bit of a blessing to be honest i it was very very painful but very lucky not to, that it wasn't more serious because you know, you say it described it as badass. I think it's one of the most embarrassing things I've done done in my life and what I put my family through. Um, yeah, not great. That's I quite mean, a were... reflective way to look at it. Well, I think it it comes from a it comes from a stance of it was very unlucky. Um, lots of things went wrong. Blizzard. Very difficult to see down the length of the road. Impossible to see that a car was coming anytime soon. Crossing the road, slipping over is unlucky. Um, but I think you do kind of need to own up and take responsibility for decisions you, you you make in your life that put you in positions like that. And certainly me going out for a big night drinking as, as fun as it was um, to then jog, jog back in a blizzard. Badass, but dumb, I would say. Um, I respect that. How does your, if at all, kind of perspective change when something like that happens? Well, the, the actual, the, the, the crucial bit of the story is that wasn't the near death bit. So um, I was then in hospital and I had an operation to put metal in my leg and uh, the operation went really well. But the morning afterwards, I woke up with a really bad complication with my lungs called acute respiratory distress. And uh, when people uh, die from COVID, that's often the condition they end up in. Uh, and it's uh, life, very life threatening. So um, I actually, the worst part of the whole thing was um, I, I was, I woke up in a big fever the day after the operation and I was rushed around the hospital doing loads and loads of checks and I was taking this big room with every doctor and nurse I'd seen during my time in this small ski hospital called Kuchan Hospital. Um, and then the chief of the hospital kind of came to my bedside and said, we need to um, we need to kind of sedate you now because there's quite a big risk to your life. And oh I, I was... I don't even know how I'd respond if someone said no, that to I me. Yeah, I was, um, I was worried... I was quite grateful that they weren't going to have to amputate my leg because no one had told me anything. And I'd kind of assumed that was the way things were going because it seemed like an urgent situation. Oh, was that like, was that on the cards? I don't think it was on the cards, but that's what was in my head. Your thought because was, there I was had an operation on my Yeah, leg, so exactly. Be, like something right. must have gone wrong. There was an infection somewhere. Um, I was talked through about all the kind of operational risks ahead of the operation. Anyway, um, so very luckily for me, my dad uh, was out in Japan with me um, he'd flown out when I was originally hit by um, by the car. So he was there with me for the operation and in the aftermath. And um, I insisted that they didn't sedate me until he'd arrived. Um, and so I got to kind of hug him and, and basically say goodbye. But I had to call my my mum and my brothers back here in the UK and um, and kind of deliver the news and and come to terms with the fact that I might not see, not see them again, which was hard. Um, 
But anyway, it turns into a happy story because um, I was sedated. I was put in a coma for a few days. I was transferred to Sapporo, which is the capital of Hokkaido, the top island in Japan, uh, to a, a bigger hospital there with a bigger intensive care. And almost as quickly as things had gone wrong, they kind of fixed themselves and I was fine. I unfortunately still had a broken leg. I kind of woke up from my coma and I was like, great. What a wonderful thing to be alive. And then I was like, oh, I st my leg's still, yeah. still, still screwed, um, which is, yeah. That's a really, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a really intense experience, man. Yeah. I it, can't imagine like, having to, having to make that phone call. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the phone call was to your mum. The phone call was really hard. I think I've, as, t as the times passed, because this was 2017, as the times passed, I think I'm, I talk about, I talk about it with kind of increasing ease. But unfortunately, we lost my dad quite recently. And I think that's kind of, um, it's kind of brought everything back a little bit. You know, my dad was there for me at a crucial time. And so, and so how does your, if, if as I say, if at all, does your perspective change? Yes, sorry, to return to your like question. Because that that, that's obviously such a pivotal moment in someone's life when that, when that happens. So, uh, yeah, so, um, God, it, it, it makes you think, uh, I reckon, about... Uh, the the positions that you put yourself in and what is important kind of in the end because as I said to you just before we started um, I was kind of sort of on my on my deathbed although not on my deathbed as it turned out and thinking about what was important in my life and you only really think about your relationships with other people so uh, for me I'm, I'm very close with my family and um, I certainly made the decision from then on to really prioritize them as much as I could. I think I was still in the couple of years after, I was still quite young and a bit foolhardy about it. But I think I um, I see very clearly now that if you're, to bring it back a little bit, I think a good day for me looks like I'm proud of every single decision I've made. And the way I think about it now is the pride in my decisions come from knowing how to prioritize things in my life and respond to things in the, in the best way. So if something is happening with my family or, or, or one of my friends, I want to have the presence of mind and the perspective to be like, actually, what am I doing right now? Um, and what is so important that I'm doing right now, particularly with regard to work, which is a big focus of, uh, of people our age. Um, what is the thing that I'm doing that is so critically important that i can't show up for someone that i love or that i care about um and i've promised myself that as far as possible i will try to figure out actually the the interplay between those those forces and prioritize effectively um so it's not always easy like recently my mum my mum said oh i'm gonna go um gonna go away to she wants to she go to go to america to uh, visit some family friends and she asked me if i wanted to come on the the holiday with her and if i was totally focused on my family i would be like absolutely it's the first time my mum will have been away without my dad and it'd be nice for her to have company but i also have to balance that a little bit against what's going on with my business which is also really important to me um and ultimately does my does my mum need me there and then I speak to her and I say mum do you need me there and she said no and that's kind of the, the situation sorted but I think really considering how um who needs you and how they might need you and trying to get a bit of dialogue going so that you can figure out if uh if if you can help people when they need help yeah I think there's definitely something to be said for especially when you're when you're younger but I suppose at any point when you're building something, there has to be a degree of not selfishness, but kind of enlightened self-interest. You have to be able to be like, I have something, I have some sort of purpose that I'm that I'm trying to achieve here and I have to make some sacrifices for it, even if they might not be the sacrifices that, you know, I want to make. And I think, I think everyone talks about sacrifices. It's quite mm. a common thing. You know, it's like, hey, you got to sacrifice if you want to build something and all that kind of stuff. But I think it's only when you're actually faced with those situations where it's like, yeah, you you know, you probably would have loved to spend time with your mum, but yeah, you do. That is that is a sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice like seeing that friend that you don't really want to see, and being like, "Oh, sorry, man, can't make it." Yeah, that's not really a sacrifice. Yeah, it's, it's a sacrifice when it's like I really want to do that thing, but I can't because of how dedicated I am to this thing. Yeah, and I think trying to figure out, actually, unpick why you want what you want, um, and is that actually the best course of action for you and the people you care about is also. Um, 
is good but i think the the sacrifices i'm willing to make kind of exactly as, as you're saying i'm willing to spend most of my sunday working behind a market stall in in Camden passage because i don't know i enjoy it and it's fun and it's good for the business and i've missed out on a bunch of sunday lunches and um maybe a bit of sport to the occasional football game um because of that but that is a sacrifice that i'm very willing to make and it's there i'm only considering my own my own enjoyment it's quite singular but as soon as someone you care about enters the frame whether that's a family member or a friend and you start thinking about actually how much does my commitment to whatever they're doing make a difference to their lives then i think it becomes a lot less clear and as the 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 best advice i could give is just trying to appraise that in the most rational way of how important is this person to you and how how important is whatever they're doing that they need you for and then trying to make a decision on that basis it's one of the key reasons that i started the business in the first place my dad was uh, diagnosed with a serious illness and i wanted to be there and and spend as much time with him as possible and i'm very proud and lucky that i've managed to do that i've sold some ginger beer along the way but it's created a life for me that has allowed for the kind of flexibility that i was looking for and this is like we were saying at the beginning um just like being able to prioritize things effectively is actually really really hard because all kind of stresses and time pressures and deadlines come into your life particularly in the course of a an ordinary job or a high pressure job whatever job you do and it's really important not to let those forces kind of overcome you and stop you realizing what is important i think there's also a benefit to being older when you go through something like that as well because i i also i lost my dad to a serious illness but i was 18 and mm-hmm. so it was kind of 16 to 18 it was like a drawn out thing but i i saw him regularly but i didn't see him as much as i def definitely as much as i could have and mm-hmm. that's purely just because i was young and i was scared and you don't want to see your dad in that state you know your dad's mm-hmm. like kind of like a superhero to you when you're young you know what i mean yeah um and i think you know there's probably a degree of when you get older like you said you wanted to spend as much time with him as you could well i'm 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 sorry i'm sorry to hear that and it's a lot harder when you're younger and to go through that at that age is it's very tough but yeah luckily for me i'd had the the thing in japan and then my dad's illness came along too and both are sort of similar in the uh the 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 sort of focal point being on your family and i think that did make me realize very clearly that i needed to do something there was there there's always one moment that i uh, i point to in this kind of whole episode which is i remember one evening my dad had actually just been uh, diagnosed with his illness and um, I was like deep in an Excel model. I used to love Microsoft Excel. Still do, actually. I love a good um, Google Sheet. I yeah. love a good Google Sheet. Yeah, you would actually be very, very popular with my co-founder, Lucy, who thinks that Excel is is not the way to go and Google Sheets are. Because Google the... Sheets? I'm definitely more Excel. I'm, yeah. def- I'm nah, with you on that. I'm with bung you on the both that. of you. Lucy, no. if you're watching this, you rock. Stick with Google Sheets. Like 100% that is the way to go. Yeah, in terms of functionality, Excel is way, way better. <laughs> it is. Like, we can leave it at that, yeah. My old manager, my, old, my old music manager used to say that all the time. I'd make something up in a doc and he'd be like, doc, can we just put it in Excel shit? I can't use the formulas in this. And yeah, it's like, yeah. yeah, but it's like, yeah, but it's on Google. It's easy. You just yeah, like there's it. F keys and everything. Yeah. But then you have to rely on the person having Excel. Otherwise they can't open it or use yeah, it. Google Sheets, true. I can send it to anyone and anyone can use it. No, that is, that's, and that is the key point, I think. So I use Google Sheets as almost as much as I use Excel now. Um, I use both. But... Um, yeah, I I can't remember where we were even going with that before the heated Google Sheet Excel um, debate. So I'm losing uh, no, no, you were saying uh, you were saying how you put into uh, into an Excel spreadsheet um, something. You were talking about what the did I put into a memory that you had with your dad. Yes, I was it. working very very intensely on an Excel spreadsheet, and my dad gave me a call, and I didn't pick up the call because I felt like the model, the Excel model I was working on, was so much more important than answering a call from my dad who'd just been diagnosed with a terminal illness. Like, what the hell is that? That is a terrible, terrible decision, objectively. Um, and I think holding that up to the to the cold light of day afterwards really did make me kind of question what was what was going on. Um, and I know I would have seen it. I, I wouldn't say that I have had brilliant perspective through my life, but I wouldn't have said that I'm the least caring or um, the person with the least perspective in the room ever. But there was still something going on and the stress of that job that was making me act in a way that was totally irrational if you really think about yeah what is important to me um it's been a really enlightening conversation oh my god um, yeah sorry yeah. It, it's gone in ways that i guess no, but that's maybe good. all of us didn't yeah expect. but that's it the, flows that's where it needs goes. to flow yeah. you know um we like to wrap up by asking everyone the same question okay which is uh obviously 
the focal point of the show is practical business advice or yeah. creative advice. I'm not sure I've be. given much practical business advice. We've done quite a lot of practical. It's we've, been, yeah, yeah, we've done good. We've, we've done, done a lot of practical. You've, and, that, and you've really drilled into like suppliers and ingredients yeah. and that kind of stuff. You've been more practical. If you watch it back, you've been more practical than maybe you think you have. Okay. Um, but the final question uh, we like to ask all guests is uh, for anyone out there who might already have a business or be thinking of starting a business, yes. if you could give them one piece of practical advice, like actionable advice that could help them, what would it be? So, you know, straying away from the just believe in yourself and you really got to want it, you know, that kind of stuff. And something that's like, could be anything, salary, marketing, hiring, product, ideation, anything. God, it's, it's never good when everyone's like, believe in yourself, you got this. Oh, it's, um, just not very, it's just not very helpful. Sucks, it's really not very helpful. <laughs> sucks, dude. Um, I'll give like, a, I'll give a food and drink specific one and then a more general one. Okay, the food and drink specific one, I think is definitely try to get some kind of market stall set up or somewhere where you can, um sample or deliver your products to a broader broad audience and get and get feedback it's great for giving you confidence that you're not onto something completely um completely kind of out of out of this world in terms of no one wants it um but is also really good for kind of building up a bit of enthusiasm and early momentum with any business you're building and the community we've built around the market store has been invaluable and a great source of support when we've needed it um and the more general one would be when you're when you're prototyping do you think very very carefully about doing test runs doing trials before you go to things at a massive scale um i think that won't come as any shock to people but i think that actually getting a a, a minimum viable or a, a prototype done putting it in front of people and seeing seeing how they respond before then going and scaling up is, is a really good shout. And I guess I'm not only alluding to kitchen recipe and sampling amongst your friends, but also uh, that trial batch where I tried to make make kind of a, a mini quantity of something and it immediately threw up two pretty major issues that otherwise would have meant if I hadn't noticed them that the business would have ceased to exist almost before it started. So um, yeah, make sure to do your trials and, and tests and prototype thoroughly. That's really awesome. good advice. Really this good has advice. been a really fun conversation, man. I think, um, I, I mean, look, I, I love the product. I think you've got a really awesome drink. It looks cool. It feels healthy. I don't feel bad having drunk it. It tastes mm. really nice. Um, and I think you're a very self-aware and a very kind and a very conscious individual. And I think, I think you're going to have a lot of success. I think you've got a really, really cool product. It's been really, really cool to talk to you, man. Thank you. Yeah, thanks very much for having me on. It's been a, it's been a, a, fun, a fun conversation. As I said, it's gone in ways that I wasn't entirely expecting. And um, I love delivering kind of practical, helpful advice. So if anyone would like to ask specific questions about starting a, a drink business, please do get in touch, DM or, or email. Or... So I was going to say, where can people find uh, find the root co? You can uh, go directly into camera. Oh, into the, into, into the camera. Now's your time to plug, baby. <laughs> I mean, this is I, it's genuinely more for just questions, but if anyone wants to email us, you can find our email on our website or um, you can just DM us on Instagram and myself or Lucy will pick it up and we'll, we'll come to you with a nice answer for anything you need. But also it is a really good drink. So where can people get oh, it? Oh, sorry. It, I want of, you to make sure yeah. you sell some of these drinks because oh, yeah, I, really, I really like them. Sorry. Um, so you can, you can find the drinks on our website, a lot around Islington, nice delis, cafes around there. Um, and uh, Planet Organic is still a good, a good place to sweep one up. Amazing. Awesome. Great. Guys, you heard it. I mean, look, he's so humble. He didn't even want to plug his own drinks when he had the chance. That's how nice he is. And the drink is awesome. So make sure you go grab some drinks. Be sure to subscribe, turn on post notifications. Uh, and we'll be in the comments for the first hour of the video. So if you have any thoughts uh, on the episode, then please do jump in. But for now, we will see you guys next week. Will, thanks for coming on. Thank, Thank you very you. much, guys.